buddy. It is. It's, you know what? It's a beautiful morning up at my studios in Fort Collins. The sun is shining. It's about 60 degrees. It's really comfortable. Uh, we had some great weather. We had some rain last night. Probably going to get some rain today and next couple of days. You know, we always say we need more rain. We can, can't get enough of it. But when it's sitting outside or I'm outside doing something and it's a comfortable sunny day, it's hard for me to ask for rain. But it's all good. The weather's great. And this time of the year, there is so much going on. We're going to talk about we're going to talk later on the show about some changes to Wyoming boat inspections that could affect anybody that goes fishing up there. So you want to stay tuned for that. We're also going to talk about deer hunting opportunity for mobility, mobility impaired people later on today. And this program is so fantastic that somebody could get out and get a deer hunt in that really has trouble getting around or that they're bound to a wheelchair. So this will be that. I'm just so excited about that. Other than that, we have tons of fishing. We have tons of hunting going on. The lake trout are biting up a Granby. We'll get a report from there later on. We'll get some waterfall updates. Everything is just in full swing. The cooler weather is going to really trigger all the animals and the fish. So we should have a lot going on. So right now, let's go to the phones. And filling in for Nate Zielinski from Tightline Outdoors is uh, Josh Sedevay. Good morning, Josh. Morning, Terry. How's it going? It's going well. It's so nice to not to talk to Nate. I mean, to talk to you. I said that wrong. I'm sorry. No, No, Nate's up in the mountains. Nate's one of our favorite contributors, but we try to give him a little bit of grief. But you guys are all uh, anglers, hunters, and different aspects of it. And this time of the year, fall in Colorado, it's sometimes difficult to choose whether to pick up a fishing rod or a firearm, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, between our bird hunting opportunities, our small game, uh, the big game stuff that we've had going on, and then just the phenomenal fishing that we've been seeing this year, uh, definitely gives you a bunch of options to choose from. So I think let's talk a little bit. I know Nate wanted to talk a little bit about hunting. Let's start there, and then we'll get to some fishing. What are you seeing out there hunting? What's kind of the hot topics? What should people be looking for? Uh, so moose and antelope opened today for rifle. Uh, that's actually where Nate's at. Uh, he ended up uh, missing an opportunity on a on a big antelope buck today and uh, had to lose service to go chase it. So uh, fortunately for me, I get to join the show and hang out with you for a little bit. But so those open today for rifle, and then we've got a couple weeks before uh, first rifle for elk starts. And the way this weather pattern looks. Uh, if anybody has that first rifle tag that can get some time between now and that season start, uh, there's no real big weather patterns that are going to affect the way that these elk are behaving, especially for that opening day of rifle season. So uh, it's kind of an unusual situation. Uh, normally we have a bunch of different weather moving in. We normally see a little bit of snow up high in the mountains and we get rain and big temperature swings and all that kind of stuff and it doesn't look like we're going to get that so uh, these elk are are still going to be uh, kind of in that rut phase where there's nothing that's removing them from there where they're going to be hanging out now is uh, should be until a bunch of people start shooting off guns and hearing four-wheelers and that kind of stuff still going to be the same places you're going to find these elk on that first day of of, uh, rifle season. I was up up in the high country a little bit this last week, and 
I got the impression that even though the elk are still in the rut, and of course the the cows come in and out of availability, so it could have been I was there at a time. But it looked to me like even though they still had harems, that the activity of the rut was really starting to get to a low ebb. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, that's the time of year we're we're at. The peak rut has already passed us, but there's still going to be either unbred cows or um, cows that weren't successful on that breeding that are going to come in and out of heat for the next probably month, month and a half still. Uh, so even though the majority of those cows are, are bred or uh, were at least attempted to be bred, uh, there's still some of that rut activity that's going to continue on. So until we see a big change that is going to cause those elk to start behaving differently than they are now, whether it be uh, we get a bunch of snow and causes them to drop in elevation or we get a bunch of heat again that causes them to move back on those shady sides of the mountains and you get a lot of hunting pressure, um, any of those things are going to change it. But if we don't see that stuff, uh, we're just going to continue to see them behave like we should the next couple weeks and kind of what we did the last week of, of archery season. So, um, yeah. yeah. One of the one of the things I noticed is they weren't very vocal. How do you feel about calling right now when the rut is kind of winding down and they've got their harems? Um, so for me personally, uh, I can call, and if, unless it's in a the right situation early season, uh, most of the time I like to get in close and not make any noise. Uh, the closer I can get to those animals without making noise, um, the, the more successful I feel I am. Uh, as soon as you start blowing calls, even if you're doing everything right, you're still letting those animals know that you're there. Um, and especially when you're trying to talk about getting onto big bulls with a bunch of cows, that's a lot of eyes to have to fool. Uh, that's a lot of noses, a lot of ears. You could have one straggler that's away from the herd and your wind curls and picks up that one cow that's kind of off by herself and then blows a whole opportunity. Uh, so for me, I, I try to, to play the wind always. Uh, that's number one. Number two is just be able to get in to where I can kill them, whether it be a rifle, a bow, uh, whatever, before I ever even let them know that I'm there. So All right. That's, let's, that's let's, how I look at it. Yeah, let's change things up a little bit. Let's talk some fishing. You guys in the past few weeks have just been killing the giant trout at Spinney. That has come to an end, I understand. Uh, fortunately, that has. Um, we just had the boat ramps close on us. Uh, the water level just kept dropping to the point where it just wasn't safe to, to have people putting boats on and off the, the lake anymore. So, unfortunately, Spinney closed uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I guess now, yesterday. Did it, close, did it close completely or just the boats? So, just so we know. Uh, as far as I know, just the boats, uh, just to the boat ramp. So, yeah, so that, people 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 better check if they're going out because we don't know if you can get in. Certainly can't launch a boat, but boy, you guys had a spectacular run of giant fish out there, didn't you? Oh, Spinny always fishes amazing this time of year. We're all pretty bummed to see uh, see that boat ramp closure. So, um, but we still have great fishing in Antero. Uh, Antero's fished better this year than we've seen 
in the last couple of years. Uh, some really good-sized trout are coming out of Ventero. They're a little bit shorter than the spinny fish, but I would say uh, equal fish lengthwise, the fish in Ventero probably have a half pound on, on the fish at spinny. So they're just feeding really well, um, really good-sized fish, super healthy. And then 11 miles going well right now, too. So there's still plenty of opportunities in that South Park area fish uh, for big trout. Um, the brown spawn is, is getting started, so you're going to be able to really target some of those bigger fish from shore right now. Uh, the pike bite is starting to heat back up. It's switching over from top water to, to jerk baits and some of those kind of things, uh, which is always a fun tactic. Uh, especially with this cool down of weather, uh, doesn't look like we're going to have temps over the mid 50s, at least for the foreseeable future, which always helps when you get that first good, nice cool down of that water temperature and it stays for a little bit. It really <clears throat> picks up the, the feeding for those fish because they know that that open water time is kind of coming to an end and they're trying to get as much food uh, put in their system before ice up. Yeah, it's uh, the fall weather is really sitting in, setting in. We kind of had it was an interesting fall, and the few times I've been able to get out here in the last couple few weeks, um, it didn't fish like fall conditions yet. Even though the time of the year said it should be, um, uh, fishing even for like smallmouth bass and things, I wasn't getting as many like jigging wraps or bites like that as as I was uh, getting more shallow bites or getting fish to hit things like a a gulp minnow or or maybe a different presentation it was a little more finesse it was it was kind of a real transition the fish were spread out a lot of the lakes on the front range i don't think had even turned over yet so the oxygen was still uh separated it was pretty interesting but i think this next few days should really push all that ahead don't you oh yeah and the front range has been fishing great um the biggest thing that I've been seeing is just with the reduced number of shad that we've had, um, at least at Chatfield, Cherry Creek still has a, a phenomenal shad population. So it's fishing um, maybe, let's say, maybe a week behind what it did last year. And Chatfield's a couple weeks behind that. But the fishing's different at Chatfield than what we've seen uh, just because the food source availability has changed uh, from what it was the last couple years with a really good shad population. So although we're not being able to fish the same patterns this time of year that we did last year, I think that's more of a bait fish availability or uh, food source availability than anything else. Because if you go to Cherry Creek, uh, Cherry Creek is on fire as well. And that is a lot more in line with, with how we were fishing for them last year and the fish that we were getting last year. Um, there's a lot of big fish coming out of both of them right now. Uh, so that's always fun. And then there's always the numbers bite on either one of them. So, yeah, the front All range. Right. Great. Uh, Josh, we are out of time, but thank you for stepping up and filling in for Nate. You don't know how pleased the crowd is, but I'm just kidding again. <laughs> but thank yeah, you. I always, always appreciate you, it. You guys are always a great resource. Tightlineoutdoors.com, Tightline Outdoors on social media. I know you book trips right through the year. You'll have ice fishing plus plenty of fall fishing. Thanks again for joining us, Josh. Yep. Thank you, Terry. Have a good one. You bet. Josh Sedevy from Tightline Outdoors. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about the new Keep Colorado Wild Pass 
and how that could affect your ability to get a pass to get into Colorado State Parks. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. Now, normally you'll hear us on the fan from 9 to 11 every Saturday, but every now and then some sports programming bumps us over to our sister station here at ESPN. We love coming to ESPN. Uh, ESPN and the Fan are the only two stations that Terry Wickstrom Outdoors has broadcast on in 25 years. So we're really fond of our stations. So follow us. We always put on Facebook. If you follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, if we're changing from the fan or our time is changing, Karen will always post that so you can follow us. And you can always listen online. If you can't get one or the other of the stations, just go to denverfan.com and click on either ESPN or the fan. You can listen live. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Rebecca Farrell. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. It looks like it's going to be a decent day for a while. We might get some rain, but we should never complain about water in Colorado, right? That is a fact. <laughs> you know, we, I, I was thinking back, and I don't want to jinx anything, but we had a lot of hot weather, but we came through the fire season so far. I think fire season's year-round, but we came through so much better than I think we were all afraid of. So we kind of keep our fingers crossed for that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Colorado parks and wildlife, Colorado parks, especially is on the precipice of probably the biggest change to how they collect their entry fees, what the process and logistics are and the price probably in the history of the organization, isn't it? It's in a very exciting program. And yes, this is, this is something that will be very big in helping to, Uh, move our park system forward for both being able to improve maintenance, provide greater access to people at a lower cost, as well as look at where we might be able to add to our system in the future. Now, tell people exactly what the program is and when it takes effect. Certainly. So the Keep Colorado Wild Pass is going to be part of your vehicle registration beginning on January 1, 2023. So the next time that you have a vehicle to register next year, there will be a $29 uh, Keep Colorado Wild Pass added automatically to your registration. It is something you can absolutely opt out of. It's not a forced fee, but it is an opportunity to uh, pay $29 for something that allows you access to not only all of our um, amazing Colorado State Parks, but also provides additional conservation benefits as well. So um, even if you're maybe not a, a hardcore park user, your $29 fee absolutely helps things like our backcountry search and rescue programs, the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, and some of our wildlife species as well. Well, you just kind of touched on it, and but let's start out with first, $29. We're expecting a lot of people to take this, whether they're just casual park users, they go once in a while. I mean, you only have to go like three or four times, and you'd make up more than the $29 if you were buying day passes. And we're, we're expecting people to do it, hopefully just because they care about the great outdoors in Colorado and our parks and, and conservation. So if this program goes the way you want, you're expecting, I would think, a significant revenue increase. Is that right? 
Absolutely. Um, our goal is to raise at least $36 million annually, which is far above and beyond what our current past sales uh, bring in for us. Um, and again, it, you know, the first $32.5 million of that definitely goes to improvements and, and maintenance and, and potentially new parks for our system. Uh, but there are kind of two additional buckets of $2.5 million that goes to backcountry search and rescue and a million dollars for the Avalanche Information Center. So um, it is definitely a, a tremendous bump in the revenues for our park system as well as being able to help some of our partner DNR agencies as well. You know, search and rescue, I've been involved in some of that, and I haven't been involved in the avalanche, but we've covered it on the show pretty extensively. And with the number of people we've seen getting outdoors and the fact that they get outdoors year-round here in Colorado, people don't want to be inside even in the winter. I don't know if people understand the value of those two programs. Uh, Search and rescue and avalanche information really can be vital to the safety of the outdoor community, can't they? Well, absolutely. And I think another thing that's really important for people to remember is that the majority of search and rescue programs are volunteer-led. And so uh, people are doing this in order to help keep their fellow Coloradans safe, in order to help protect the landscapes that we're all on. Um, and to your point, you know, there is no off-season here in Colorado. And so whether you might find yourself kind of doing some backcountry dispersed hiking and camping or skinning up to do some skiing off-resort, you never know when some sort of emergency may strike. So it's best to be able to not only be prepared by watching avalanche forecasts, but also to be able to know that there's dependable search and rescue that's well-funded and well-organized that are available to help. Now, I have a question that you and I didn't talk about before, so I don't hope I don't put you into a corner, but wildlife conservation is one of the other benefits we're hoping to get from this pass. But that would not come from the wildlife side because you're not allowed to commingle funds with parks. So would that come from conservation and habitat efforts within the park system? So the way that the statute that provides this pass is written, um, once we kind of get to that $36 million bucket, the additional funding from there is split between our parks cash and our wildlife cash. So there will be a benefit to the wildlife side as well. And the focus on that will really be focused on some of our species of greatest conservation need here in Colorado um, that are, are outlined every few years in our uh, SWAP State Wildlife Action Plan. Now, if people are looking for more information to understand how this will work, we'll go over some of that in just a minute here. But is there a website? Is there information online already? Absolutely. So right on the homepage of Colorado Parks and Wildlife's website, there's a, a banner page that says Keep Colorado Wild. And you click to that, and it really gives you a breakdown of, of how and where the, the monies are spent, what some of the additional programming may look like for our um, regional partnerships, and outdoor education and, and all kinds of amazing things that this program will do. So a lot more detail is available on our website. There's a frequently asked questions page, um, and you can always feel free to, you know, give us a call at our call center as well to help you answer some of your questions. Let's go through the basic logistics. First of all, when does this go into effect? So the switch gets flipped on January 1, 2023. Um, this pass will be available only when you register your light vehicle here in Colorado. So that includes things like your RVs and motorcycles as well. Um, we will have all of our standard passes available. So if somebody does decline this pass, they can still buy day passes or any of that. Um, but as you pointed out, if you go to parks more than three times or if you're just interested in conservation in Colorado, that $29 fee is, is a pretty low investment to be able to help keep Colorado, Colorado. Now, what happens if my car registration comes due in, say, May, but I want my parks pass, my current one, say, runs out in January? 
So two things. Um, if you are looking at having kind of two passes, so that's the, the position I'll be in. My park pass will expire in July, but my registration is in January. There will be a refund program available to kind of eliminate that two passes. There will be a prorated refund opportunity that uh, we'll have a website available soon to be able to go in and, and log that refund request. If there is a gap between, so your park pass runs out, say, in March and, and you don't have uh, a registration until July, uh, we'll, we'll still have those $10 available uh, annual date, or not annual, the daily passes that you can kind of do to supplement in between while you have that gap. All right. So that's all explained on the website, and it goes into effect the first of the year. We're talking about conservation and any other – how are you going to implement this at the parks now? How, do you have any idea what will happen if I, I drive up and I won't have a sticker on my car anymore? How will that go? Sure. So we've been working really, really closely with our partners over at the DMV. So no matter how you renew your registration, whether it's at a kiosk, at your local grocery store, whether you go into an office or do it online, your registration card that you're required to carry in your car that doesn't have your address or anything on it will have a Colorado Parks and Wildlife logo on it. So at a manned station, you'll just be able to kind of show that to gain your entry. And if you don't have, you know, somebody at the front gate, you'll just kind of drive in as you would with standard park pass. Um, and if for some reason there's ever an opportunity to, to interface with one of our parks officers, um, it would work the same. You just kind of go back to your car the same way you would prove that you had that green sticker. You'll have that, um, that registration card in your vehicle. All right. Well, I want you to keep us posted, and I'm sure that, there may be a few hiccups, any new program, but hopefully it raises the revenue that we're looking at and we can see, you know, we want to keep the parks improved. We're seeing a growth in Colorado's population. Our park systems are very popular. So hopefully this will make everything better and, and even a better visitor experience I know is a, a really a goal of yours personally. Absolutely. You know, while we know that this will have an increase in visitation and we certainly hope that, you know, we raise the funds that we need to, to kind of do all of those improvements. One of the big things that we want to make sure that we're doing is, is providing that quality parks experience for all of our visitors. Rebecca, thank you so much. Good luck with this program. I'm sure you'll keep us posted as this progresses. Thank you so much, Sherry. You bet, Rebecca Farrell. Hey, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about a mobility-impaired deer hunt that's available. I think it's full for this year but would be available next year we'll find that out but for somebody who's wheelchair bound or something you could go out and get on a big game hunt all that and more coming up on terry wickstrom outdoors presented by jack's outdoor gear on espn you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors Presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. We're on ESPN today. We uh, sometimes come over here when there's a sporting event that interferes with our normal 9 to 11 on the fan. And that will usually bring us over to ESPN at 10 to noon. If you like what you're hearing here, please uh, go to the fan, 1043thefan.com or denverfan.com and Find out when we're on. We're usually on 9 to 11 on Saturday. Follow us and follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 or just Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And we'll keep you in praise of what's going on in the show. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Ridgeway uh, is Derek McLaughlin. Good morning, Derek. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing, sir? 
I am doing great. How's the weather over in the Ridgeway area today? Uh, it's all right. It's cloudy right now. Overnight, it was raining all night, and this morning it was raining. Um, looks like it's going to start raining again this afternoon. But right now, whenever, it's just cloudy. We, we never complain about the rain, though. But you have such a be- you're in such a beautiful part of the country. When the sun is on those mountains, you're not very far from Ure. In fact, before we get into we're going to talk about this mobility-impaired deer hunt. Let's talk a little bit about the park. Tell people where it's located and quickly describe it. Yeah, so Ridgeway State Park um, is just south of Montrose. If you're familiar with it, it's about 17 and a half miles south. It's on the way to Ure and on, on the way to Telluride. Um, it's a fairly big uh, state park. We have a reservoir. It's uh, surrounded by the San Juan Mountains, and you have Mount Sneffels in the background. It's just a beautiful area. And you connect to a lot of public land, too, don't you? Yeah, and we have uh, the Ridgeway Area Trails. We call the Rat Trails across from the state park, uh, which is attached to BLM land. That's just multiple, multiple miles of biking and horseback riding. Um, And then, of course, we have National Forest around us as well. And, of course, there's uh, some pretty good fishing at the park and in the river, both there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. You know, we, we fully stock our reservoir. Um, we have the kokanee salmon that are going to start running here in the next couple of weeks once the water drops down. And then below the dam, we have the Uncompagre, which is a phenomenal uh, fishing area, along with our two ponds that we have. We call those the kids' fishing ponds. We stock those all the time. That's uh, a great place to go and, and have a, a kid catch a fish for the first time, or not even a, a kid. It can be an adult, too, that's never fished before. Well, and you talked about the fishing in the lake. Um, not only you have some smallmouth bass there, you stock it heavily with trout, but it's also famous for producing just giant brown trout. Yeah, we get massive brown trout that are in there. Usually we see those right after ice off or as the ice is coming off. A lot of the guys will fish the dam where the ice is uh, up against it, and we see some monsters that are pulled out of there. If you stop by our visitor center, we do have a fishing book with pictures and just you can see year after year of what the reservoir produces for brown trout. Now, the boat ramps are open. How long will they stay open this year? Yeah, so this year um, it's going to be until October 31st. That's the last day that we're going to be open. Right now, our hours as of today uh, for the weekends are going to be 8 to 6 p.m. on uh, Saturdays and Sundays, and that'll be till the 16th. Um, but right now, the weekdays are 8 to 4 p.m., and then once the 17th hits, it'll be 8 to 4 for the rest of the year. All right, but I'll tell you what, folks, if you want to get a chance to just catch some fish in one of the most beautiful settings in the world with a chance at a giant brown, but you said the kokanee are running, and those would be going well, and you got stock trout. This is a place to go, and you have a lot of camping there too, don't you? Yeah, we have like 300 campsites, I believe. It's right around there. Um, and then, like I said uh, previously on one of your shows, that we are going to have more access this winter to, to more camping. Yeah, winter camping is becoming so much fun, and all your campsites are on the reservation system. Uh, just go to the website or uh, get hold of the park. If you can't figure it out, they'll help you, and they will get you hooked up for camping or tell you how to get hooked up for camping there. But, Derek, I want to switch gears and talk about a program you and I talked about that has me really excited. Um, The value of outdoors to the normal person, not normal, but to the average person, is uh, there's no value that can be put on it. It is really, uh, it brings so much to your life. Somebody who's impaired, maybe has a disability that prevents some of that activity, 
when I see an opportunity where they can go out and participate in hunting and fishing, I it just to me it's just so rewarding. We've talked in the past about your mobility chairs and how they can help people get on the trails and how they can use them to get to the fishing areas and you can fish from them. But I I just learned recently and you and I talked about it that you also do a mobility impaired deer hunt. That is just phenomenal. Tell me about it. Yeah, so this is, honestly, this is an amazing program that we put on, and it's probably my favorite thing that we do at the park. Um, We do a uh, Unit 62 uh, second and third rifle deer buck hunt here on the park. So this is for the uh, mobility impaired. So the hunter must have a permanent disability that significantly impairs major life functions and their ability ability to hunt. Um, This also... Um, is for people that uh, might have a permanent medical condition and that may, that is making them physically impossible to hunt without someone else's help. So we have this track chair that we just got in. We have two, but we have one specifically set up for hunting and uh, that will hold the rifle for the individual um, and it's all decked out in camo. So we don't only just have that. We have our um, golf carts and we have a, a mule that we can take around and we have a lot of our campgrounds that are closed down, and we have a certain other areas that we can hunt as well. And it's kind of interesting driving through the closed-down campgrounds and seeing the quality of deer that are on our park that just show up randomly. Um, and just being able to get these, these deer down for these hunters that, you know, can't typically go out into, you know, the mountains. We just have this program. Um, there are a couple things that we do require uh, we have an application for the mobility impaired big game license. And so if you reach out to me, if you call Ridgeway State Park and ask for me, my name is Derek, um, I can get you all set up with the information. It is currently closed right now. Uh, the deadline was for September 2nd. But as for next year, it's all going to be online um, at Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And then if you look up Ridgeway State Park, um, it'll be under there underneath hunting. But uh, you have to add aid to, to track and dispatch, and then um, we typically see a lot of shooting from a vehicle lifetime. So, so um, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, this is an amazing program. I, like I said, we get, we get big bucks that are on the park. They just come out of the mountains, and uh, just the, the look on the faces when they're able to harvest these animals is amazing. Now, they have to actually apply for a draw also in Unit 62. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And and it's Unit 62. Once you draw, you also have to reach out to us uh, to, have, to, to draw through the state park. Now, that is completely free. There is no fees to hunt the state park, but we only allow four hunters. And when I say four hunters, we have two for the second regular deer rifle and then also two for the third regular deer rifle as well. Okay, and... That's full for this year, but next year. So should they contact you before they apply for the draw, or should they maybe to figure out, make sure they're doing things right, or should they go ahead and go for a draw on Unit 62 and then contact you? And you said all this will be online too. Yeah, it'll be online for next year. And always reach out. I mean, if you have any questions or if you're not sure if it's for you or what we have to offer, I can go in a lot more detail. Just reach out to me over at Ridgeway State Park, and I'd be happy to send you all the information. Um, just make sure, though, once, you know, if you do get the application for the mobility impaired, 
um, we have to get that license in 30 days prior to the hunt. That way we can make sure that, you, you know, you're disabled and that everything is good. All right. This sounds like just a tremendous uh, program, Derek. And I actually hope that you and other parks can build on this program because anything that can get people who are challenged getting outdoors in there and experiencing it, to me, is just uh, phenomenal. It's just unbelievable. Um, I've been involved with some uh, people that had challenges. One fellow that lost an arm, and he went bass fishing with me. He was phenomenal, and he could shoot a shotgun with one arm, and he did uh, upland game hunting. And then you won't believe this, but I actually uh, we talked about a hunt on the program ants from a guy who was blind. Oh yeah, I mean, there's so many different avenues to get people out here and be able to be successful. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. All right, Derek, tremendous program there at Ridgeway. Keep up the good work. And by the way, folks, Ridgeway is a great place to visit whether you're hunting or not. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, no, thank you, Terry, and you have a wonderful day, sir. You bet. That's uh, Derek McLaughlin from Ridgeway. What a great program. You know, this. uh, our show is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And sometimes I forget to get into the nuances of Jack's. I've gotten to know their personnel at the various stores really closely. And these guys are not just clerks in a store. They are outdoor enthusiasts who understand their products. I have learned so much from these guys. I mean, we have they come on and talk about survival and winter camping and hunting. It's just a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for us. And we're so proud to have Jack's Outdoor Gear as a sponsor. Stop by one of their stores and check them out. You'll be pleasantly surprised. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Brad Peterson's going to join us. We're going to talk about a great bite that's going on fishing right now. We're also going to talk a little bit of waterfall, but we're going to talk about changes to some of the boat inspections in Wyoming that could affect all you fishermen. So stay tuned for that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear, broadcasting on ESPN today. Let's go to the phones. One of our favorite regular contributors from Brad Peterson Outdoors is Brad Peterson. Good morning. Good morning, Terry. It's uh, it's a good morning right now. Of course, if you were out in a duck blind this morning, you probably would have wished the rain came in earlier. Yeah, those those people up in the mountain zone... You know, I, I think the good news for them is there's a, the storms are moving in earlier, and it's a little cooler, so I bet that the birds are moving pretty good. We'll talk more about waterfall in a minute. I want to talk about a couple things. There's a good white bass um, bite going on, and a couple other um, reservoirs are fishing pretty well. But before we even get to that, I know you guide at Glendo, and Glendo's been on fire fishing. We'll talk about that in a minute, but... Wyoming just announced that Glendo and Keyhole are going to be under a different boat inspection process now than the rest of Wyoming. What have you heard about that? Yeah, um, you know, with with Colorado finding uh, zebra mussels in one of their lakes and South Dakota finding one fairly close to the Wyoming border, uh, Wyoming has changed their inspection process for Keyhole and Glendo. And it's going to be more like what our Colorado boaters are used to in that there will be mandatory inspection at the boat ramp prior to launching. The one challenge is, is the Wyoming lakes are a lot bigger 
And so what they've done to make this work is they've shut down all but one boat ramp at each one of those uh, state parks. And so at Keyhole, it's the Pine Haven Coulter Bay ramp. And at Glendo, it's the Whiskey Gulp ramp or Whiskey Gulch. And uh, the inspections are from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., but the ramp is only open from 7 to 7. So you're not going to be able to get off after 7 p.m., which is a lot different than what it used to be. And in the past, you know, you'd go across the border and you'd get, if the inspection station was open, you'd get sealed and you were good to go launch. At Keyhole and Glendo, those seals do not count. You have to be inspected prior to launching at that state park. So it's just something for a heads up for the anglers headed that way. Now, also, um, I think you're still going to be required to stop on your way in and get a seal because they don't know what lake you're going to, right? If, If there is an inspection station open, you are required to stop at those inspection stations. Um, okay. But the hours kind of vary. Um, so you may, you can cross, and if the inspection station's not open, you still can go through. But um, if they are open, it is a mandatory stop. Yeah, there was a, a, a press release that came out on this, and you and I both got it. We thought we better bring this up, and I'll probably try to find a way to put that press release on my social media. I'm sure you will too, right? Yes, I've already done it. And and just a heads up also for the Colorado anglers, usually on most of the lakes, October 1st, the hours have changed for inspections as well. So I know like Boyd was going from 6 to 8, and as of today, they now are going from 7 to 7. So it's a good idea to check the other lakes throughout the state because those hours may be changing as well. All right. Now, I want to talk about a bite that's going on that I know you've been taking advantage of. Now, these aren't huge, giant fish, but if you get into it right, the action could be as phenomenal as anything you'll ever do. And that's the white bass. And my understanding from talking to you is that white bass bite is going pretty strong at Boyd. Is that right? Yeah, the white bass bite is still going strong. Um, CPW was out sampling this week, and in the numbers of white bass that they caught were really high compared to normal. Uh, some of the other species were a little bit lower. So if I was going to be targeting Boyd, I would be either going for a real early morning largemouth bite or kind of um, morning until about 10 or in the afternoon from 4 o'clock till dark um, to target the, the peak activity windows for those white bass. And there's both fish, you know, up shallow cruising. And so people that want to go troll, uh, they can be real successful right now. The the shallower suspended fish are really moving. So you want to cover a lot of water, use a, a smaller, like a size five crankbait and keep it in that top 10 feet of the water column. And uh, if you don't enjoy trolling or you want to try something else, there are schools that are a little bit more concentrated on the bottom that you can use your electronics find, uh, finding them and either spoon, uh, blade bait, jigging wraps, all those. And, and again, kind of that smaller size, one inch or a little little bit smaller right now, seems to be the ones that are really triggering those white bass to bite. And it's, it's really a reaction bite because if you try dragging bait through them or stuff like that, they're not going to react to that as much as they are towards 
you know, either a spoon or a crankbait going by real fast. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Now, I haven't heard much about seeing a surface bite at Boyd this year. Has it been mostly subsurface? It has, um, you know, midsummer it, or about July for about a three-week period, there was a morning uh, surface bite going on. But after that, it's really tailed off. You'll see a few little blow-ups. If you're wanting to go for the surface bite, the best chance is going to be in the afternoon. The morning definitely is not happening at all right now. So if you're wanting to try to capitalize on that opportunity, I'd tell you to target that last hour of light is going to be your best chance. And with that, I'd have some sort of a topwater lure ready, maybe a little popper or a wake bait. And then also just some sort of either a a twister and a grub or a, a trout spinner something like that that you can burn really fast in that top foot or two of water column. When you see them boiling, the biggest mistake most people do is they let their water, they let their lure get too deep in the water and they're underneath those fish and they don't catch them. Have you, and you've been going after the deep fish that are balled up on down below. Have you been catching any uh, walleyes or smallmouth when you're doing that? You know, I'm catching a few walleyes mixed in. It seems like the walleyes have been hanging in a little bit different areas, but the walleyes with the low water level, Boyd's about 17 feet low, they're in, in the water temperature still in the upper 60s. They're, they're really roaming right now. So I think with this cold weather we've got coming this weekend and, and next week's supposed to be cooler, maybe by next weekend you're going to see the water temps get into the lower 60s and that should really help concentrate those walleyes and make the fishing a lot better for those. If I was going to go to Boyd, I'd definitely be targeting either the, the early topwater largemouth or the white bass right now. Now, real quick, couple things. One is I hear that Glendo, we, we talked about it as far as the new inspection, but I heard the walleye bite is phenomenal there. Yeah, if you want to chase walleyes right now, uh, Glendo is probably the place I'd tell you to head. Um, the jig and wrap, spooning bite, during the early morning period until sometime around 10, 11 o'clock is going really good. And then there's a, a suspended trolling bite that happens the rest of the day. And don't overlook, there's some real good crappies up there too. It takes a little bit of time trying to find them with your electronics, but once you do, you can get just into huge numbers of crappies in that 12 to 14 inch range. So that's another opportunity after that early morning bite, if uh, if the walleyes kind of taper off, you can also go look for those crappies. With the crappies, I've had the best luck with just like a, a tube jig or a little twister and counting it down because they're typically suspended along those steeper uh, shorelines. And so being able to count it down and being able to repeat that right depth will really increase your number of bites that you're going to get. Real quick, we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, what are you seeing on the waterfall so far? Well, you know, I didn't go out to the uh, mountain zone, but I'm seeing a lot of people post some good pictures up on the uh, Facebook and social media stuff. So I think those people did pretty good. I'm hearing some real positive news. I, I know CPW's concerned with, with our drought and, you know, the, the hatch conditions that, that this might not be the best year, but I've talked to some buddies in Wyoming and Montana and the Dakotas that all their waterfowl seasons have already opened, and they're having gangbuster starts to their seasons. 
So that, to me, kind of indicates that we may be in a better situation. The big thing for us is going to be just trying to spend some time and figure out what places have water and what don't. And for the people in the Northeast, that's going to be your key next weekend for opening day is finding those spots that have enough water, even if it's only just ankle deep, that'll hold some of these early season birds. Now, are you, are you uh, mountains? Have they been mostly resident birds? And have we seen much migratory movement even on the front range yet? No, the mountains are almost all residents. Um, when when they do migrate, if we do get them, it's, it's birds that were in the mountains in Wyoming coming down. Um, and so we'll get a little push of those coming in usually about the 20th of October, a week or two before things freeze up. But um, resident or along the plains, there has been a push of teal that have come in. Some people did really good for teal season, and I'm still seeing a lot of those blue wings still hanging around. So we've had some of those, a few wood ducks. The early migrators are just starting to get here. But again, if we get this cooler weather and maybe a, a day of a strong north or, or northwest wind, that could bring another push of those widgeons and gadwalls, some of those other early season birds to get in. But I think we're mainly going to be hunting resident birds for probably that first 10 to 15 days of the northeast uh, season. All right, Brad, if people want to book a trip with you or they want to uh, just want information, how do they get a hold of you? I, they can reach me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or uh, give me a call or shoot me a text at 303-829-3998. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for the information. All right. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Brad Peterson, always a great source. Speaking of great sources, coming up, we have uh, Austin Parr is going to join us, and he'll take us around the state for some fishing updates. So all that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. <laughs> 